and welcome to Permanently Resident, a podcast about the ups and downs of living abroad. My name is Robin. I live in Richmond, California, and I'm from Brighton, England. This is Jose. I'm uh, from Simi Valley, California, and living in Tokyo, Japan. So, welcome everybody. This is episode nine. Today, we're going to talk about Latin America. So, uh, why don't we start with your experiences, Jose? what's your connection to Latin America? Yeah, so I'm, I was born in Peru, so that's my huge connection right away. And I lived there until I was five years old. And then my mom brought me to California and I spent my whole, my whole life just growing up in California. But there was a good five-year chunk there where I was 100% Peruvian. Do you remember any of that? Uh... I have like this memory of her taking me to kindergarten and I really didn't want to go. (laughs) I think I was being a mama's boy at that time. Happy times, happy times. Yeah, yeah. How about you? What is your your connection? Um, So I get, I mean, around the time that we met, so when was that? September, October, 2008, I started to become interested in, uh, Latin American history when you know we were both studying history right so for some reason I just that caught my attention and um, you know that led me down the path of thinking about spending time in Latin America so I went to Cuba I was there for about five weeks um, after I was uh, after I studied at UCSB Uh, and then when I graduated from the University of London I went to live in Mexico uh, and then later, for various reasons, which we won't go into today, I went to. Ch- I was also living in Chile for about a little bit more than a year, and uh, right now I'm studying PhD in U.S. foreign policy in Latin America. So that's my connection. It's a pretty big connection there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. It's not as big as your connection, is it? <laughs> Would you would you say that you got interested in, in Latin American history because, you know, European history is kind of, you know, pretty much defined and uh, Latin American history was still so young and developing? Would that be a, the attractive point? I guess I just don't find the European history very interesting. I know that I know that some people find it absolutely fascinating, but especially 20th century European history, I find it quite dull and a lot of the personalities quite dull. Mm-hmm. Whereas modern Latin American history is the characters are much more interesting. You know, if you're thinking about someone like Fidel Castro or Juan Perón mm-hmm. or even someone like uh, Pinochet, you know, it's, it's more interesting. There are more, they're more lovable or they're more hateable. So I just feel like this just sparked my interest a little bit more than talking about, you know, some other drab president or drab prime minister from Germany or or Spain or somewhere like that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely get that. A lot of revolutionary figures in, in Latin American history, right? Yeah. And especially recently, whereas you don't, especially since the second world war in Europe, not that much has happened and you know that's a somewhat of an exaggeration but 
you know, if you compare it to to what's happened in different Latin American countries, you know, we can mention some examples later if you want, but it's just, it's more dynamic. There's more going on. There's more, mm-hmm. just for whatever reason, I found it more stimulating. For sure, for sure. So I thought, you know, before we get into talking more about, you know, our experiences in Latin America, we could talk about kind of a, a brief history of, of Latin America. Maybe that would be interesting for, for listeners who might not be tuned in to the, the past, right, of Latin America. Yeah, well, I think, you know, a lot of this stuff is still contested and some of it's quite controversial, especially in terms of, you mm-hmm. know, questions about why some countries in Latin America are still struggling with development and the United States is, you know, the largest economy in the world. But I think, you know, just some key points and, you know, again, these are contested, but Mm -hmm. just some key points to think about, you know, the early patterns of settlement were quite different, right? So in North America, in, in New England, especially you had, uh, religious exiles from from England initially mm-hmm. starting communities um, with their families so they they came and they established complete communities um, initially in Latin America that's not what happened it was mm-hmm. you know small groups of men that were largely 20 to 45 years old no children no women you know, they weren't looking to establish new communities. They were at least initially looking for gold, right? Yes. Um, so they had completely different objectives. Um, and then I think, you know, that that really played out. You know, in North America, in New England, you saw mm-hmm. those new communities excluding Native Americans, mm. whereas, you know, especially in places like Mexico. Uh, but then later places like Peru, Ecuador, uh, Venezuela, Chile, and you know, in Brazil too, you had very, very quick racial intermingling happening um, almost immediately, right? So I'm a modern day example of that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a large part of modern Latin American identity, right? The mestizo culture, the, um, you know, depending on where you are, the mixture between European uh blood and then afro afro-american or afro-caribbean mm-hmm. uh blood in, in the form of of slaves bought from africa and then uh indigenous indigenous people and each you know each country has its own unique mixture depending on this history but um sure. you know that's a defining characteristic right that's still you know even even the united states even after you know, two, three hundred years of um, supposed intermingling, the United States still doesn't really have that kind of mestizo culture, right? I mean, still quite strong divisions racially, I think. And then, you know, another big, another big um, consideration when we're talking about this and how Latin American societies developed um, when they first encountered Europeans versus how they uh, developed in the United States and Canada was that Spaniards and Italians arriving in the in the new world found large population centers especially in Mexico modern-day Mexico and then 
modern day Peru and Bolivia, mm -hmm. there were large established cities. Um, and mm -hmm. the conquistadors arrived and moved into those cities and started living amongst the population immediately. In North, in, you know, in New England, there weren't any large cities there were small small villages at most and you know the white colonists did not mm. did not mix did not live amongst the indigenous people right they lived separately in their own um habitations so i think you know those early the early history of how europeans settled in latin america versus how they settled in the United States, you know, sowed the seeds for some of the differences that you see today. Sure, like you, you laid it out perfectly. And we have, uh, where I'm from, Peru, we, we have a large indigenous population, which is about 30% of our current population. And we have a mestizo or mixed, mixed indigenous, mixed European population, which is a good, you know, more than 50% of it. And then you might have like a 10% white, white population. And, you know, it's different. Like you mentioned, every Latin American country has a slightly different mix, but it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of similar to that, right? The, the mix of indigenous, mestizos, and then some white and Afro groups, right? Yeah, in certain places, th those groups are more stratified. Mm -hmm. um, and in a couple of places, there wasn't really a very strong influence from African slaves. So if you think about Chile or Argentina, they don't, they never had any significant, not that they didn't have any, but they didn't have a large slave population, which is very different from somewhere like Brazil or Cuba, which had, you know, a huge slave population. And you can see that influence today. Exactly. So I think we're bringing this up because it does tie in the modern day identity of living, living in those countries. And um, it's not something I really grew up knowing in, in uh, the United States. But when I went back to Peru, that's when I really saw it. So how do you, uh, you know, it seems to me like you've got kind of two different identities. Mm -hmm the way that you fit into Peruvian society is, is going to be completely different to how you fit into American society. Right. So how did you, how did you feel once you kind of realized that when, you know, maybe that was when you were a teenager, perhaps when you were, when you went back to visit Peru? Well, maybe first I can hit on the, my American identity or mm, okay. as my identity as a Peruvian American. And um, so I grew up in a suburb and, you know, it was a safe place. Uh, but, you know, as most suburbs are, they're, they're in the United States, they are heavily white. So my suburb was at least over 80% white American people. So, so my experience was uh, of being someone who was distinctly different in most cases, whether it was at school or, uh, you know, on a basketball team or going, going around the streets, you know, it was, you know, it's obvious I'm different, right? Okay, how... I don't know if you've ever told me this. How how did your mum end up choosing to live somewhere like that? Was that a conscious choice, or did you just kind of end up there because that was close to where she had a job? Or I think she had family there. So when she first came mm. to the United States, uh, you know, she probably needed a little support because she wasn't quite a nurse yet and still in her mm -hmm. studies. So she probably chose it strategically. Just I have family there to support me. That makes sense. Yeah. So did you feel? 
-hmm. you know, racial identity and ethnic identity is very important to a lot of Americans, right? Did you, did you come to think of yourself as American or Hispanic or Peruvian American or just Peruvian or, and is that even important as a question for you? Um, you know, I, I think one thing that, that first hit me was that a lot of the Latinos in Simi Valley were Mexican. And, mm. and uh, yeah, as, as is in California, right? So you, you wouldn't meet many like Peruvian Americans, right, in Simi Valley. I'm sure there was some, but they were not of a, in abundance, right? So, but yeah, I'm not Mexican. So yeah, sure, we're both Latino and we can identify in that way. But, you know, the cultures aren't, aren't the same. Just like you wouldn't tell a Korean and a Jap Japanese person, you guys are Asians, it's fine, right? <laughs> you guys can get along. So, that's true. That's yeah. true. So, I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons I asked because, you know, some, you know, Asian, Asian Americans often do identify as Asian American. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'll identify as Japanese American or Chinese American, but often it'll just be Asian American, right? Yeah. So, the, you know, the, uh, I guess Mexican Americans would have their own cultural, you know, identities, which I, I don't identify with. Like, you know, oh, Cinco de Mayo's coming up. Like for me, it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> or, or US is playing Mexico on soccer. That's like a huge day, right? That's a, mm -hmm. that's a day to go yeah. out and, and get crazy. But for me, it's like, yeah, I don't care about <laughs> the Mexican team. So there's definitely, there was a, a gap there for me to kind of identify with, with Mexican Americans in Simi Valley where I live. Uh, so yeah, I didn't really care about race when making friends. I mean, a lot of my friends are just from different races and different backgrounds. I mean, for me, it wasn't this huge thing. Mm. Yeah. So how was that different when you went to Peru then? Because uh -huh. although I'd say that Latin America, in Latin America, class identity is perhaps more important than it is in the United States, that class identity is very closely associated with race in many in many cases right so i think i think it's not a unique experience it is a very common experience when when people uh grow up in one country which becomes their new home country and they go back there's always a disconnect right they're not mm -hmm. like, when i went back to peru it's not like oh i'm home i'm peruvian no because i grew up in the united states since i was five years old the, yep. the U.S. is going to be my dominant culture, right? I'm going to be more American. I'm, I, guess what, I guess what I'm more interested in knowing is mm. how other people reacted to you. Because, mm. you know, you, your dad's a little bit more white, right? And then yeah. you're, uh, you'd say, like, more mestizo, if that's, if that's an acceptable way of putting it. Like, okay. does, that, does that mean, like, people treated you differently from your dad? Or did they just kind of not know how to treat you because yes you look like them but then uh -huh. you're not like them because you didn't grow up there yeah i guess i guess you're right in the spectrum of things my dad is definitely more to, towards the white end yeah. and and still on the spectrum of things i'm probably more towards the the white end even if i'm yeah. not quite at my dad's level but still we're, we're yeah. both in that spectrum right as far as yeah. peruvians so as you said like when I got there, I noticed, I was like, oh, okay. So, so the people who are the maids in the house, they're indigenous. The, mm -hmm. the, the people who are the drivers, you know, you know, or cleaning 
the, you know, in the lower end of the stratosphere economically are a lot of indigenous people. And I could definitely start to see these things, right? And at first I was a bit uncomfortable because like in my dad's house, like, you know, some, some girl is asking me like, can, can I make you breakfast <laughs> or cleaning up my stuff? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I felt weird about it, but for, for my dad and my sisters, it was like everyday life. Like they couldn't imagine doing their own laundry, I think. Yeah, well, actually, when was that? 2011? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went and stayed with your dad in Lima, right? Yeah, that's right. You and uh, put you up. <laughs> I, I did because you know I have been I have been to other people's houses where they've had mm-hmm. uh, domestic help or whatever or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but what I'd seen in other places was not quite the same thing as I saw there, where the you mm. know it seemed very very subservient. You know, and you mean in Peru just, or my dad's house? In your dad's house specifically, okay. but okay. I imagine it's you know it's similar in other houses too. Like sure. these, the you know the the people were just do, doing everything. Yes. You know, I'd sit down. They'd put food in front of me. Um, I'd eat, then they'd take it away immediately. They'd serve my drinks for me. They'd ask if I wanted more coffee, uh, and yeah that was that was that was a little bit of a shock i think so maybe that's what you're describing too yeah and um just to make it clear this is not the the average peruvian but also this is not a rich peruvian maybe this is like the the experience or the household of a upper middle class peruvian yeah i mean i don't you know your dad definitely doesn't live in you know some huge mansion or something right but he's 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 well off yeah so yeah, that was definitely a, a shocking, a shocking thing to see. And as an American, where you would only have this kind of service as a as an extremely rich person, right? It was definitely yeah. shocking. Same same for a Brit British person, right? Yeah, you'd only have that if you you'd only have somebody serving you if you were a multimillionaire, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that was one of the, the shocking things in, in going to Latin America, right? So yeah. uh, to kind of conclude this, like, is your Peruvian identity, is that important to you? Or is it just kind of something interesting that's there? Is that? Um, I, I think that uh, it is important to me because I have pride in, in uh, my background, my ethnic history. So I'm, I'm Peruvian. I'm probably some form of mestizo. I didn't get a DNA check. So it would be interesting, I think, for, for to know, but it probably wouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But uh, I have pride in my country, but my, my adopted country is, a, is the United States. So I think I do see myself as an American first. Yeah, I think you're you're not to that level, even though the U.S. is your. <laughs> well, I I mean, interestingly, I feel like you know I'm getting there. Yeah. Uh, you know, as cheesy as it might sound, mm. my American identity has become more important to me in a way that mm. I didn't think it ever would. I didn't think it ever would be important to me. Um, so it's kind of an interesting experience for me. But. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so I thought we could talk about like some of our actual experiences besides getting domestic service in, in Latin America, because we did experience much more than that. So, so for me, one, one thing that was really crazy is the first time I arrived in Lima and we, we got in the car and quickly I found out, okay, this is, this is how a developing country drives. It was a real shock, like switching lanes, not signaling, uh, red lights, red lights are like rolling stop signs <laughs> or traffic laws are optional. Those kinds of things really stuck out to me in the beginning. I mean, I think to be fair, yeah. I've been to I've been to a number of different countries, right? And yeah. my experience driving around, I wasn't personally driving, but I went around with your half brother, yeah, around Lima, several different places on a few different days. Yeah, honestly, I've never seen anything like that before. It's by far the worst in terms of people, the way people drive. Just oh, it was crazy. I, right? I genuinely scared on quite a number of occasions. <laughs> It hasn't gotten much better either, like, and also the, the the disregard for like drinking and driving is also quite shocking. Like, oh really? Okay. Like, like in Japan, like they're really strict. Like in Japan, if you drink one beer, you don't drive. I mm. mean, to be honest, it's a bit ridiculous because one beer is not going to impair you. But, but yeah. I understand. It's fine. In the U.S., it's what like it depends on your alcohol, blood alcohol level, right? Yeah, I mean, I think normally most people are fine if they have one drink. Some people are fine if they have two drinks, but yeah. But but in Peru, it was like, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but, but, <laughs> but drink a beer here, drink two, drink four or five beers, and like, all right, we're going home. I'm like, are you okay? Are you sure? Like, I mean, I think I've had this. I've had experiences like that here too. I mean, again, right. naming no names, one terrifying experience does come to mind but um yeah but it, that's i feel like that's even just like part of american culture isn't it like there's no way to get home oh we better drive so how about you though you've been to cuba and for americans we always you know we see cuba as a country that's like they did the socialist experiment or communist experiment they failed life there must be just terrible they have nothing they're poor but you actually went there because you know u.s citizens at that time couldn't go there when you went yeah i went in 2009 is that right yeah i went in 2009 um and that was the first it was the first latin american country i'd visited i guess i'd say it's the first developing country I'd ever visited to. So that was quite, that was quite a shock and it was quite stressful a lot of times. What was shocking about it? What was shocking about it? Um, I mean, as I think, you know, the, the American narrative about Cuba is partially true, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the system has failed. Okay. And, the reasons for that are complicated. A part of that, part of the reason for that is the actions of the U.S. government over the past embargo. six decades. Yeah, the the embargo being the main thing, but not just that. Okay. Um, so I think that that was that was that was shocking just to see the system failing um, and people being unable to purchase things that they need that they needed you know a a couple of days previously i'd 
been walking around Safeway in California and, yeah. you know, ordering uh, five double cheeseburgers at In-N-Out. <laughs> and then suddenly I get to... Havana. <laughs> suddenly I get to Havana and, you know, the average person gets a ration of... I can't remember the numbers, but, you know, 200 milliliters of cooking oil per month or something like that. And... Oh, wow. You know, the the lifestyles that uh, people were living were, you know, difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think perhaps what the American narrative about Cuba gets wrong mm-hmm. is that it's all, they're all measuring it in terms of economic indicators and numbers. Okay. And that doesn't always capture everything. Um that doesn't work. That doesn't capture how content, contented people are, or how healthy they are. Mm. Um, so, you know, pe- people in he- people in Cuba are healthier than they are in the United States. They have better access to healthcare. Um, okay. Life expectancy is longer. Um, they don't have to worry about you know health insurance premiums, those kind of things. So, I think it's not as simple as the, the American government makes it seem. Could you go to some restaurants there? Like, were there, were there bars? Were there, could you go to those types of places? Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the system has ended, but mm-hmm. when I was there and they've had the system since the mid nineties, uh, where they have, um, two parallel currencies. Oh, um so the local currency um that local people get paid in mm-hmm. and you can buy certain products using that and then convertible uh convertible pesos which are pegged to the dollar uh which you can use to buy imported luxury goods um so you know every type almost every type of business had both options you could go to the grocery store and use Mm-hmm. local currency and the shelves would be bare there'd just be a few things you could buy wow. uh, and then you'd go to the import store and it's full it would be full of stuff but the prices would be 10 50 100 times more wow. than than what you'd pay in the local store so you know there were certain certain products that were extraordinarily cheap Mm-hmm. Uh, like the local cigarettes were, I think. So I remember around three or four cents per packet. Wow. Um, or if you wanted to drink a local beer, you know, it was 25 cents or something like that in a bar. Good. Um, but the, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was fine. I mean, it was, it's extraordinarily hot in Cuba and humid. So if it's cold and it's a beer, then it's going to taste great. Uh, but the, the number of, options are just are very limited and i think that i think that's quite shocking for somebody who's used to being able to go to the liquor store and buy 75 different types of beer um <laughs> you got lot you got you got caught with no money right over there you ran out of money uh, <laughs> i did yeah i i naively arrived with only visa credit cards and because of the economic blockade you can't use a visa in a Oh. The Cuban government has outlawed the use of American um, 
financial instruments and financial companies, so you can't use visas. So I had literally zero, zero dollars and zero pesos. Luckily, I'd already booked a hotel, so I had somewhere to stay. But uh, <laughs> how did you? What did you was, do for food? Well, the first day I was there, I didn't realize. So I had breakfast, and then I, and then I went out, and I and I tried to get some money, and I couldn't. So the first day I didn't have, uh, I didn't eat anything. Wow. Uh, then the second day of breakfast, which was included right in the hotel, I stocked up, you know, stocked up on breakfast foods and just kept filling my bag with more and more stuff. You're still um, stealing from the hotel breakfast to survive. Well, I didn't, I didn't have any other options. I didn't have any money. So, um, yeah. And I could, I called my mother and, um, mm she didn't take me seriously she just hung up the phone so what? i had to i had to wait a couple of days um and then she wired she wired me some money but okay i thought you got money money you were like begging in the streets you got a little money didn't you um well i was staying you know those kind of hotels are only for foreigners basically so yeah, yeah, yeah. um i just chatted with a couple of people told them the situation and they lent me 20 20 bucks and then I could you know buy some water and you know that sort of thing so that <laughs> so was pretty sure begging pretty... on the streets of Cuba <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I mean there's nothing to beg for you know the uh, the you know the average person in Cuba has nothing right I think uh, yeah you know one when I was there the average mo monthly salary was $30 or $35 for a monthly salary so um oh. but you know if you talk you're talking about the stereo you know if you can imagine mm -hmm. i mean obviously you know for you it's different but if the average white american person or white european person imagines latin america yeah they're thinking about they're probably thinking about cuba you know old men drinking rum in the street playing dominoes <laughs> sexy girls on the beach in bikinis people yeah. dancing salsa in the streets you know people using a lot of hand gestures it wasn't um, like that. <laughs> no it was like it was like that oh, it was like that okay. uh, it was like that so um but then that uh, you know maybe this is a good segue to talk quickly about chile um okay. very different you know chile is not like that at all um, and I think I met a number of um, other foreign people, not just English and American, but um, you know other European people and a couple of Asian people also in Chile, and they were kind of shocked that Chile wasn't like that. Yeah, Chile is uh, one of the more developed uh, Latin American countries. I know they have like a nice subway system, and their economy has been pretty solid. Even their wine their wine level is respected internationally. So yeah, Chile has a lot going for it, right? Uh, I mean, again, if you're using those economic indicators, then yes. Mm -hmm. um, but I found it quite a drab, uninspiring place to live and work. Really? Wow, why, why do you say that? What was so drab and uninspiring about Chile? So I apologize to all our Chilean listeners right now. <laughs> I'll get ahead of uh, uh, well, let me uh, do, let me add a caveat before I uh, continue. Then I mean, this is this, this is my personal experience, but 
it's a it's a hyper capitalist environment i'd say in in many cases even more than the united states wow. it's really the whole of society is driven by money and acquisition um and then the other part that's quite shocking i think is just uh, the way that society is so divided i think both in Britain and the United States, there's, there's a lot of talk about how society is racially and economically divided yeah. and the uh, how it's difficult for people to to get on or to, you know, that social mobility is quite limited. And that's true compared to some places, but, but Chile is right at the top of the list in terms of inequality um, and in terms of lack of social mobility it's one of the places with the with the worst inequality and the worst social mobility in the whole world. Um, so that's quite shocking in terms of living somewhere like Santiago, which I did um, yeah. for a while. You know, it's just like the white rich people live in one area, the middle class and lower middle class mestizo people live in these areas, and then the indigenous uh, people live on the periphery and you know you have people living the similar lifestyles to what you'd find in Beverly Hills in California in Los Angeles at one end and then you have people that are living in literally huts with no running water and no electricity at the other end and they're living within 10 miles of each other um, huge disparities going on there so so yeah i think that's you know that i just didn't feel like i could really sympathize with people who were perpetuating that system um, so i think i think uh before we wrap this one up i i want to mention i went to a really delicious peruvian restaurant last night so i got i got my fill in tokyo I'm wondering in San Francisco, have you been to some good Latin American restaurants out there? Uh, I have been to I have been to a couple of Peruvian restaurants. Uh, there's one uh -huh. actually quite close to here, uh, El Mono, uh, which, which is which is pretty good. It's pretty popular, uh, and I've also been to um, there's another Peruvian one in San Francisco, which. It's pretty good. It's a, it was kind of a pricey though, but I think you know if you ever come, I've got to take you to the Argentinian steakhouse. Um, there's what there's one that's really really good in in San Francisco. So. Yeah, we could throw down like four bottles, eat like six hundred grams worth of steak. <laughs> you can but pay for you, it. you can pay uh, for it. <laughs> so kind of you. I, 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 maybe I'll cook for you at home instead. <laughs> for sure. Sounds good, though. And the one thing about Peru, about the food, though, is like, you know, it's always delicious. I love Peruvian food, but you get mad, though, because it's going to be a good one hour before it comes. <laughs> but then when it finally comes, <laughs> when it finally comes, though, you know, you, you, you release the anger. You're like, well, it's really good. So I'm not going to I'm just going to be happy anyway. So As a, what about Akari? Is she a fan of Peruvian food? Oh, yeah, she loves it. We went together last night, so it was great awesome nice all right well let's wrap it up then thank you so much for listening today yeah thanks everyone see you next time